Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Today, we have a special guest. She is Lynn Whitbeck, the queen of sales. Lynn, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again and uh, see where we go today. Lynn, first thing I want to do is I want to know about your background. What made you the queen of sales? Well, you know, I think it probably goes back to when I was a young girl in Girl Scouts and there was this amazing cookie badge you could get, exclusive cookie badge, but you had to sell a lot of cookies. I mean, we're talking a truckload of cookies. And uh, I put together a system. I hauled my best friend with me everywhere. And she was the classic introvert. Like sales was like anathema to her. Uh, but we created a system and boy, did we sell those cookies. And you know what? We were the only two girls in the entire district who got that exclusive cookie badge. So there I was starting out at a young age, uh, doing something that I developed a passion for. And as I got older, finished graduate school, got a job, all those things. What I found is that sales was amazing because it tapped into my core value to be of service and to come and approach everything with worthy intent, that it was a win-win, that I was there to serve and to make an impact and help my clients with a better business, a better whatever project, goal, or initiative they were on, and really, you know, almost a better life because it was something they could just let go of, not think about, and just take it off their plate. And that was a gift. And it was a gift for me because I just loved being to be able to help them. When I train people to sell, and I do this, I work with lots of entrepreneurs, hundreds around the world, and I had trouble selling. I was that shy, introverted guy. I thought sales was about convincing somebody to do something, like kind of manipulating them. <laughs> but later, just as you said, I, it dawned on me, that the best salespeople, the ones I react to, I like the most, are actually there to help me make the right decision for me. They are doing service for me. So whether I go into buy a new stereo and the person is there and they're describing the system, the really good salespeople are listening to me. They're trying to find out what I want. They're trying to give me the information I need to make the best buying decision. So I want to go back to your cookie, your cookie sales. What did you and your girlfriend at the time, what did the two of you do to actually break through and become the top cookie seller? So one of the things is that we would choose like the location that we were going to sell the cookies at. So because we needed to sell, you know, a truckload of cookies rather than go door to door in the time that took, you know, we were sort of trailblazers of, of going out in front of the grocery stores and uh, having a table set up and, uh, talking to people about the cookies. And, and I would also share, like, we want to earn this cookie badge. We actually put up a sign, you know, we want to earn this cookie badge, help us earn this cookie badge. So we're asking for what we wanted, you know, so you, if you don't ask, you don't get, but at the same time, you know, we were being 
friendly. And like I said, my friend Judy was way out of her comfort zone. I don't want to say that I'm some kind of crazy extrovert, but I was really motivated because I wanted that cookie badge. And, you know, Girl Scout cookies are stinking good. I mean, I really like those cookies. So I could really believe in the product that I was selling. You told us some smart things. One, go to where your customers are. Go to where the customers are in, in the right frame of mind to buy. Because if they're going to a grocery store, they're already thinking of buying a pro, you know, food products. You're selling a cookie, natural fit. Get in front of your customers with a product you believe in. Communicate that belief to them. And then make them part of your adventure, which was your other message, like help you earn the cookie badge. So you made it fun. <laughs> they could actually help you achieve this goal. Now, in the real world where you operate today, where you're helping entrepreneurs, you know, lots of entrepreneurs with their sales. Tell us some of the insights, other insights that you've come to that really make a difference in these entrepreneurs closing deals. There's two things, core things. And that first one I've already touched on is worthy intent. It's, it's like the yin and the yang. If you do not have worthy intent, uh, people can smell it, you know, that you don't care about them. You don't care about their business. You don't care about the impact that you're going to be able to have and the service that you're going to be able to deliver to make their work, their systems, whatever it is better, right? So that's first. But the second piece is that you have to sort through the sales chaos. And this is what I mean by that. So many entrepreneurs that, you know, they've got the founder magic, they get their business started, and then they've got different salespeople. They're all sort of doing their own thing. And I'm not saying that you don't have a CRM or you don't have some different sales materials, but honestly, there are many entrepreneurs doing their own thing. That is not a good plan. You need to have a really a strategy and put that in place. And that's the yin and the yang because worthy intent can serve you a long ways. But if you don't have the systems, your SOPs, all the processes, your templates in place, you're never going to be able to help as many people as you can. And you know what? You have a moral obligation to serve as many people as you can with your amazing product or service. Let's talk about those pieces that you need in place and go into a little more detail on the type of templates you need, how you structure them, everything. First, you have to create your sales foundation. And so the sales foundation is grounded in that worthy intent. It's also grounded in understanding your client journey with your organization. You need to map that because when you do that, you can already see some gaps, some areas of friction, uh, some gaping holes. You can also see things that you're doing really well. So you want to create the best possible customer experience because when you have of raving customers, really happy customers. They're going to buy more from you and they're going to provide you with warm referrals, which lowers your cost of sales for client acquisition. That's a big thing. And repeat sales and warm referrals have much higher profit margins. Okay. So you do that. The other thing is understanding who is your ideal client. You know, what's that avatar look like? Um, what's the market? Where do they hang out in bunches? Because another thing that you can get caught up in sales, and this is where you do have to be a little bit ruthless, but kind, is that if they do not fit your ideal client, then you need to point them in a direction of where they can be helped. It could be that the timing's off. It could be that they're, they're just simply not the right client. But the thing is, is if you, you don't want to be investing your valuable time 
when you could be helping 10 people instead of all of a sudden you're spending all your time and energy on this one client that doesn't fit. I totally agree. You need to fire clients that aren't right. I've had people like service providers out there. They felt like it was their obligation to do whatever it took to make that client happy. And I'll tell you, some clients, they're not a right fit for you. Some are totally unreasonable. They're not a right fit for anybody. And one of my friends, he runs a a company that does a lot of technical service work, you know, setting up computers and everything. One of his clients, they just kept changing the specs of the project over and over and over. You know, they would make decisions. They would reverse decisions. I told him, just fire this client. You're going to have to. He was like, no, then it would be a failure on my part. And I was telling him, no, the failure on your part is not firing them soon enough. Like as (laughs) soon as they started to do this, you know, play all these games with you and not live up to their end and then come back and ask you for more, driving you your team crazy and making it impossible for you to deliver the product on time. As soon as you did that, you needed to lay down the law. Well, he went another six months and then he fired that client. So you're right on. I think an important thing that salespeople miss out is that even before they take the person on as a client, this is what you were saying, you need to do a lot of vetting. You need to make sure, especially if it's for a big project, like a big involved project that might go on for months and months and months, you need not something quick you can sell them and they can walk away with, but you need to make sure that this client is a really good fit for you, that they understand your process, they are willing to abide by whatever rules you lay out. So laying all that out there in front, sort of as a test that whether they can buy into that, they agree, they actually endorse your way of doing stuff, really, really important. Or they have the growth mindset to recognize that, that they need to change, you know, that they reject complacency. There's, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we really have people who apply to be our clients and then we decide to choose to work with them. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced when doing sales? Honestly, for anybody out there, if you're not doing QBRs with your clients, you really need to take a step back and look at how to put that in place. It doesn't need to be quarterly. It can be annually or biannually. I really recommend like biannually, but it needs to be focused just like say an hour, 15 minutes on where you were, where you are now, and then what's happening in their world and where you're headed. Cause you're going to find out things that they have goals, initiatives, projects that they're developing. You can get in on the ground floor and do a proof of concept before anybody gets a whiff of it. And who's in the catbird seat after that? And for good reason, because you put the effort in to make it, to find out if this is going to be viable for the company that your client. What are some of the biggest mistakes salespeople make when engaging customers? There's a couple of things. So number one mistake is not following up. I mean, period. The statistics on follow-up are absolutely shocking. And I think that's because there's this human nature to fear rejection. So you've got to get past that. So, you know, pick up uh, Carol Dewick's growth mindset book and read it. Okay. If you don't have time to read the whole book, pick up the, the buzz, whatever it is, cliff notes version. Okay. I mean, that's a 30 minute read, but you've got to be able to get past your own self-limiting beliefs. All right. And you have to follow up in a way that adds value. I do not want anyone out there doing this. Oh, hi, Steve. 
this is Lynn. I was calling to see how you're doing and if you're ready to make a decision um, and we want to, if you want to schedule a meeting so we can move forward with the project, ugh, ugh, ugh. do not do that ever. Okay. So instead I want you to say, oh my gosh, Steve, I just attended the most amazing masterclass on how to build a summit. And there is so much value and DYI in this. I really think you would love to tune into it. So I'm gonna shoot you the email with the replay. This is going to rock your world. Oh, oh, by the way, by the way, uh, this is Lynn, Lynn Whitbeck with Petite to Queen. There you go. And then you great. follow up with that email. That's so a great I just delivered you value, right? <laughs> yeah, you're giving them value. You're giving them something really interesting that can help them. And at the same time, you're following up on a sales call. That's yeah. really good. So, you know, follow up is necessary because people are busy. They've got a lot of distractions and they can go from hot to cold in a New York minute, right? <laughs> or is it a New York second? I don't even know. So um, that it's really important that you remember to do that and follow up with value and always think like the customer. Cause that was my fourth pillar. So I talked about the client journey, their client experience, worthy intent, uh, your ideal client avatar, the fourth pillar the fourth pillar is thinking like your customer and what's their why. So in other words, what do they want, need, or lack? How's it going to benefit them so they can? Okay, because people purchase the so they can. Nobody just goes out and buys an Apple watch. It's because they buy it because the so they can. So I can now answer the phone on my watch like Dick Tracy, if you're that old and you remember that, so that you can connect it to your Mac and to your iPhone. I mean, so that you have all that, you can do all these things on there. That's why you purchase that. It's so you can have all this additional freedom and capability. It's not just because it's a cool looking watch. It's the so they can. And that's what, when you start thinking like your customer and you start looking at their client, why all the way through the journey, because it changes, it changes at every stage of the sale. And it certainly changes as you're nurturing that client and developing that long-term relationship. I mean, I I've had clients I've worked with for, uh, I don't want <laughs> decades, literally. And their why changes everything does. So always put that as your other core pillar or your foundation. And if you have all those four, you've really got it nailed. And then it's a matter of just getting everything else mapped out and put in place. So there's a lot of myths about sales and selling. Can you dispel some of those? I would say the first myth about selling is that you have to close someone. It's really about helping them, guiding them to a decision that will have once again, a positive lasting impact for their organization, for their team, for their, for the business. And so that's the first thing. It's not about closing or winning. Okay. Only if it's a mutually beneficial win-win. So that's the first myth I would say right there, you know, just toss that out, spit on it, chew on it. I mean, whatever, just get rid of it. And do you have another myth you can dispel? <laughs> um, you know, I think another myth is customers are more interested in, you know, the stature of your company, you know, how important you are. That's just hubris. And you have same thing. You just got to kick that to the curb and focus on what's going on in their world and what's important to them, because that's how you establish your credibility. And you also establish that you are truly 
in tune to what's happening to them. People will work with you when they see that genuine rapport, genuine interest, genuine curiosity. That is going to drive a sale or a relationship further faster than trying to, you know, I don't know, it's like do some kind of like, oh, look at me. I do all this stuff, fancy schmancy stuff. This is how important we are. I can't tell you how many presentations I've seen where companies either start with that or end with that. And you know what? If you're in the room doing a presentation, they've already vetted you. They've already figured out that you're a, a viable uh, supplier. Just don't go there. It's a waste of your time and energy and you are it's off-putting for the client. What is the best advice you've ever received? I think that one of my bosses, who is the best boss ever and an incredible mentor, um, he really gave me some great advice with working with my team. That was that you don't have to go in depth in a novel with an explanation, but you have to provide some part, a very brief explanation of why you're doing what you're doing or why you've asked for what you've asked for to bring them in so that they can lean in and that feel that they are part of the solution, part of the progress, part of the big win. And when you do that, then there isn't as much resistance like, oh, she's always asking for stuff. You know, uh, it's just one more thing I have to do. Instead, like why it's important. And when you do that, you allow your team members to get on board and to be part of the winning solution. It's been fantastic to have you. Let the audience know where they can find you and where they can find your book. You can find me uh, at petitequeen.com. And that's the simplest way. We've got all our links to everything. And you can actually pick up um, our book right there, our free book. We also have tons of great content for you. Lots of um, webinars and masterclass and course, um, all for free. So um, check it out and uh, enjoy. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you wanna access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.